This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast, helping take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Sam, and in today's episode, we talk with our friend, Brett Pyle. Brett has 30 years' experience in global business with Anderson Consulting, Amico BP, and Vistage Worldwide. Brett speaks around the world, delivering keynote addresses and conducting leadership development workshops. He also works with our coaching ministry at Blackaby Ministries. Brett has recently released a book called Your Extraordinary Why, which you can find at extraordinarywhy.com or Amazon. You can also connect with Brett at brettpile.com. That's B-R-E-T-T-P-Y-L-E.com. And now, without further ado, here is our conversation with Brett Pyle. We'd like to welcome all of you to uh, this week's podcast, and I'm uh, delighted, particularly today, because I've got a good friend and colleague with me that uh, we'll be interviewing. It's one of the features we like to do uh, on this podcast, just to bring in uh, uh, some of the wonderful people that I get to meet uh, and work with. And uh, Brett Pyle is uh, one of those people, and Brett and I uh, go back a number of years now and uh, Brett, we had kind of an interesting uh, beginning to our relationship, didn't we? How did uh, how, re- review for us how we first met? <laughs> Richard, I think we first met when I showed up on your porch. You were moving into my neighborhood, and I was waiting for you to carry your boxes in. I think is the <laughs> way that went down. And, and I think uh, you had a loaf of uh, bread. I think that was uh, made at quite a famous place nearby uh, in the neighborhood. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I don't forget food. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, and you look back in your life and you realize a lot of those kind of divine uh, appointments or relationships uh, at the time, it just, it might have almost seemed like a spur of the moment kind of thing. And you have no idea sometimes years later, you're still working together and associated and what might have just seemed like to you just a not a big deal, go by and welcome a neighbor. And uh, God has a way of using those things uh, for years afterward in our life sometimes. Well, that is, that is the huge point, isn't it? Um, and it is amazing that if we're aware of God's activity in and around us, uh, that suddenly things take on a, on a different perspective than they would otherwise. Um, my introduction to Blackaby Ministries actually happened when a dear friend of mine uh, had gone through experiencing God in the early 90s and uh, mid-90s maybe, and then then said to me, hey, Brett, I think this is something that would really resonate. So I rushed out, I bought a book, and I bought two workbooks, and my wife and I were going to go through Experiencing God together um, uh, in the coming year. Well, that also happened to be the year when she and I were getting ready to move overseas, and so our house was in complete and total chaos, and things were being packed to go into, you know, an air shipment, and things were getting packed to go into an, a, an ocean shipment, and then a whole bunch of stuff was getting packed to go into storage. And it was my plan to put those books into the air shipment. They got put into the, 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 the long-term storage shipment, so we arrive in London where we're now living with our two young kids and Jeannie, eight months pregnant with our third, and we didn't have the book Experiencing God. And I remembered being bummed. And... Uh, what then transpired over the next five years when we lived overseas was um, God wasn't waiting on the books. <laughs> uh, instead, he took us on a five-year journey of, of experiencing God together as we were in uh, uncomfortable situations in foreign lands where we were, our bearings were all gone and uh, he was our one sure thing. 
Um, and so, the, so we experienced God together. And then uh, flash forward, I think it was about a decade later when, uh, when you and I met and I was going through a process of uh, just trying to figure out what was going to happen in this next phase of life. I'd been literally taken to the threshold of a crisis of belief where I had some partners throw me out of a business and I was trying to figure out what to do next. And uh, it was quite clear through prayer and circumstances um, that uh, God was operating in a bigger way than I ever thought possible to the point that I, if you'll recall, we were, I was interviewing for a, a possible position with an organization that it turns out you were involved with. And I discovered this on the day, literally, that you were moving into the neighborhood, hmm. which is why I showed up on your porch. I'm like, that is up to something. I got to go figure out what this is. That's why you got the loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you've kind of touched on some of that, Brett, but give us just kind of a, uh, just a kind of a summary of your background. We, this is a leadership podcast. We talk to church leaders, business leaders. Your background, although you've been a Christian active in church, has been in the business world. And so what are your, what, what's sort of the different places that God's put you as a leader over the years of your career? Well, I spent most of my professional career initially in, in the large corporate world. I was uh, a management consultant for Anderson Consulting, and, uh, and then I spent most of my career in the oil and gas industry, and that was what took us around the world. Um, I was with Amoco, BP acquired us, and so we lived at headquarters in London, and we moved on to China in all those corporate roles. Um, and then uh, joined a, a good friend in business, That's, uh, which was clearly, I, I knew God was calling us into that, um, that business. And yet after three years, it didn't, didn't work out well. And that caused the crisis of belief when there, you know, the, a separation that none of us had planned caused me to be in the market. And this was, by the way, in 2008, worst economy that uh, you and I have known in our lifetime and yeah. hope, hopefully it will be even at the end of the whole coronavirus thing that we're going through here. Um, and so it was just an exploration time of, all right, God, I, I thought that's where you were leading. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, this happens. Did I get it wrong? Hmm. And it was in the midst of all that that I heard very clearly, hey, Brett, you know, you and Jeannie did it, have done a great job of following me when blessing accompanies the following. Hmm. I'm wondering if you'll keep on following if I have something on my heart other than blessing for you. Hmm. At which point I said, well, that's a really good question, and I'm going to take some time to think about it. <laughs> and, uh, and I gave him the silent treatment, I think maybe for two weeks. And at the end of the silent treatment, I was, I was just cut to the quick, and I'm like, Lord, I, I spent the first 25 years of my life uh, living without knowing you, and I know what, how empty that can be. Hmm. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, yeah, you're right. What's happening right now does not feel like blessing, but I know that you are the blessing. So I'll, I'll, I'll follow wherever you go. And, um, and that's then what led me into uh, the next phase of life that I, I think I was about a year into when, um, uh, well, no, I was, I was still on the threshold of trying to figure out what that next thing was. And it was when the opportunity I was exploring at the time that you were involved with uh, fell through that I uh, launched into uh, leading CEO peer advisory boards on my own through an organization uh, called Vistage International out of, uh, out of California. And I formed groups of CEOs and led them and coached them. And, uh, and along the way, you and I uh, got engaged doing something similar for Blackaby Ministries. Yeah. And you, uh, you've been very involved in our coaching ministry. We've talked a lot about that. We've had Bob Royal on the, uh, our uh, podcast before. Uh, we still do a workshop twice a year that uh, you are involved with. And you and uh, Bob do the primary teaching of it. Uh, tell me just in a moment, we, we kind of 
talked a bit about uh, the, the value of leadership coaching, but uh, for our listeners uh, today, what would be the value of having a leadership coach that you would, you've talked with? A lot of people have heard about that and have never done it, but uh, what might be the value of someone just enlisting a coach and having someone to walk them through some of the issues that they're facing right now? Well, you know, I think there's a shift that happens in life where we stop learning things by being taught them and we, and, and we start learning things by experiencing them ourselves. And um, you can download all the podcasts you want and you can read all the leadership books you want and, and you're constantly being told things and there's value in that. But there's uh, so much more value, it seems, in, in being asked things, uh, questions that seem to cause you to go into yourself and reflect on uh, things that you know, but maybe haven't ever uh, applied or, um, uh, lessons and uh, tend to bed down for us and become real when we discover them for ourselves or when the Holy spirit of God reveals them to us and someone asking the right question at the right time, like apples of gold and setting of silver and all of a sudden it comes, uh, uh, to life for that individual in, a, in an incredibly powerful and real way uh, when they discover it really from themselves for themselves. And, and that can happen so effectively through, through a coaching relationship. And nobody's more surprised by that than, than me, frankly. And, and uh, we should probably get into the whole story uh, about how, how we go through teaching coaches to coach. Cause that was nothing short of a, of a God story too, you know, cause when we, when you and I it kind of founded the whole coaching practice, I think we founded it with this idea of how do we come alongside leaders who want to be coached and help them get themselves and their organization onto God's agenda. Yeah. And yeah. we had a few and we've had some interesting uh, uh, conversations with folks out in Hollywood and in, in other industries where, where God was active and the people were, were aware of what he was up to. Um, but what we really found was there was this outpouring of professional executive coaches that said, wow, I, who are Christian and said, I'd really love to be trained by you to uh, f figure out how to integrate my faith in, into my coaching practice. And so, so that's when Bob Royal came along and he, you know, God had already given him a curriculum for training coaches. And on the first day, we're kicking off this, this, this training thing, 38 professional coaches around the world came in to be trained by us. And that wasn't our initial focus. We were just, it seems like that's where God is, is leading. And so we started following. Yeah. And I will never forget that first, uh, first uh, day where I'm kicking off the class and I'm getting ready. I'm teaching literally from the stage and getting ready to make a point. And the point is one that you, the people in the church and the people in the corporate world would all readily embrace. And it was around uh, figure out what your weaknesses are, figure out what your strengths are. And once you have a clarity on that, don't worry too much about your weaknesses, um, you know, because if you focus on those, the best you'll get is, is uh, to the level of mediocrity. And the world doesn't necessarily need another great mediocre leader. <laughs> uh, <laughs> instead, focus on your strengths and maximize those. And I'm getting ready to teach the point, and I'm telling the story of a leadership fishbowl thing I had gone through. And uh, at the end of it, I ended up with uh, four or five strengths and um, uh, four or five developmental areas, and I had one weakness. And I'm getting ready to make the point that would resonate with everybody in the room because they're coaches. And, and literally, as I'm teaching, Richard, God stopped me. And he said, hey, Brett, before you close out this, this point, I want you to remember what that weakness was. And I didn't. I kind of put it out of my mind. It was about 10, 10 years ago. And when I saw it initially, I was like, yeah, you're right. I've, I've never been very good at that. 
And then he reminds me that the weakness was in coaching. <laughs> and here on this day, he's reminding me of that. I'm standing in front of a room of 38 people who had come from around the world, professional coaches, to get trained by me in coaching. And I was like, all right, Lord, what do you want me to know now? And he said, here's the deal, Brett. There isn't a strength you possess that I need. The best you can bring to the table is useless to me. And there is not a weakness that's part of the makeup that I uh, have uh, put into you that limits me in any way. It's not these abilities that I, I need or want from you. It's, it's your availability. And if you're willing to come to me empty and bring all of who you are, your strengths and your weaknesses, uh, watch what I do through you if you let me do it in my strength and power. So... It's, uh, and, uh, you know, I love watching you coach. Uh, you're great at asking questions. It's something that uh, I, I was never taught. I was taught to make great statements. I was not taught to ask good questions. And, and so I think for a lot of people, a lot of pastors would so benefit from coming to a workshop, just learning how to, to walk with people. And instead of giving them the answer, ask the question that brings them to the answer. Um, and you do that so well. Uh, and and I, I, we'll try to get maybe into some more of that because I, one of the questions that I think is so interesting to me is when you do come alongside leaders, it's amazing what leaders discover about themselves. Uh, it's amazing to me how unself-aware a lot of leaders are. Uh, they run into some of the same problems over and over again, and yet they don't see what's causing the, the problem or what kind of behaviors keep eliciting the same response. It, you, you know, from us sitting in the sidelines watching, it's obvious, but uh, it's amazing how we have blind spots uh, and, and, you know, people that don't get help, don't get any feedback, just have a life of frustration where things just keep on not working out. Um, and, uh, and so much of that, I think we've discovered from coaching could be addressed, could be resolved if only people would take time to walk with someone and get some, some feedback. Um, but I, I want to I want to make sure we get to uh, a very exciting development in your life, and that is uh, a book that you have written and has come out. And uh, uh, your book is called uh, "Your Extraordinary Why: Living a Successful Life of Significance." And uh, I love subtitles, and you managed to get the word "successful" and "significance" in the same subtitle. Uh, <laughs> and so, tell me for a moment. First of all, let's look at the subtitle there. When you when you try to help people have a successful life, I think all of our listeners want that. Yeah. Uh, we all want to be able to feel like the one life we had was a success. Uh, how do you, how do you in the book? How do you define whether someone's life's going to be successful or not? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, I, I like the subtitle too. Um, uh, and I'll and I'll tell you this: the book is the product of uh, nothing short of uh, maybe half a decade of disobedience on my part. <laughs> um, I clearly heard God say that I was to write, and uh, and yet I um, uh, I'm plagued by this demon. The demon is called perfectionism. And so I would try to write and I could, uh, write a really good paragraph after iterating and reiterating, uh, dozens and dozens of times. But when it came to producing content, I was, I was, I was never satisfied with that. The paragraph was good enough, so I couldn't produce the second paragraph. And so after a few years of trying, I quit. And then uh, I started speaking to groups on this topic and, and the topic was around, and it was largely, I was speaking to groups of CEOs. 
So by default, um, most of these people, by world standards, were going to have some degree of, of success, many of them considerable success. They would be uh, uh, um, successful by the world standards. But there was a talk in me, and I knew the talk <clears throat> was around, how, do you, how would you know if you got to the end of your life and you were, were successful by the world standards, but you know, in those final moments, you're reflecting back and you miss some of the things that really fundamentally mattered. Maybe you succeeded at the wrong things, or worse than succeeding at the wrong things, maybe you actually contributed to the level of evil that exists in the world by not asking bigger, deeper questions of yourself and challenging your organization in more ways. Because if you're going after profit as your one and only measure of success, then, uh, uh, then chances are you're going to miss the stuff that really fundamentally matters. So that's what the talk came up on. And I started doing the talk. And after talks, people were saying, hey, when's the book coming out? Uh, yeah. yeah. So it came full circle. And finally, I'm <laughs> like, all right, I got to write the book. <laughs> And, and so talk about being self-aware, Richard. I started asking myself questions. Why is it that when man says to me, you need to write the book, I obey. But when God tells me you need to write the book, I hesitate it. Mm. I didn't like the answers to those questions that I was getting from that. But, but it was what I needed to, to get over the finish line and, and, and come up with a book. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, the, yeah, I've done the workshop 700 times to some 20,000 people around the world. And, uh, and the book is a culmination of a lot of stuff that is in the talks and, and in some talks, but not in others. And so it's, it's really just, it's a structured journey to help people figure out what it would look like if indeed they were to um, uh, cultivate a deeper, more intimate relationship with their guidance system. And I write, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, well, I'm going to say, and you have, uh, and your, your main part of your title, your extraordinary why, yeah. uh, great, great uh, title. And that whole idea of why, uh, why is that such the, the focus of this book? Why is why, is why so important? Yeah, because if you ask why enough, and don't just be satisfied with the first why. If you go after the second, why does that matter to me? And, and, and then you get an answer to that and you ask again, why does that matter to me? Ultimately, you're going to be asking spiritual questions. Because mm. your big why, your biggest why, your, your, your ultimate why, your extraordinary why or your purpose uh, was given to you by your creator, your source. And uh, so it's a talk that I deliver in secular settings, but it's designed to get people further along on whatever, wherever they are currently on their spiritual journey. Um, uh, Stephen Covey gave us a great gift uh, years ago through a book he wrote called The Eighth Habit, where he talks about that we all have a, con <clears throat> a conscience. And, uh, and so I use that, that word for conscience to, to, to reflect this idea of we have a first person, third-party relationship with this still small voice. Uh, we've known it our whole lives. Everybody will agree with that. Um, a lot of the listeners to this podcast, you, you know, we know that still small voice and we have a personal relationship uh, with him. Uh, and we believe it to be the voice of God speaking to his children. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad and I want my kids to be very, very clear when, when, the, when I'm speaking to them that it's me and they don't get confused. So we have this relationship and we know it, but a lot of people don't yet have that relationship. They just believe it's that voice they've known their whole life. But either way, let's spend some time listening to that voice because that is the voice that will steer you to find your purpose, your extraordinary why. Well, and certainly there's a lot of people out there, whether they're pastors, whether they're business people, working very, very hard, very sacrificially, but no one has ever made them stop and ask why or answer the question why. Um, and uh, tragically, you and I both have known people 
later in their careers, later in their life, uh, the, the, the best part of their life behind them before they finally have someone ask them that question. And, uh, and it certainly would have helped them earlier on to have, if you'd just written this book and been obedient years earlier. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, a lots, there's lots of great stuff in the book. You're an engaging writer. It's, uh, it, it moves crisply. You uh, use a lot of movie clips, uh, which uh, in a moment I'm, I'm probably going to ask you one of your, uh, tell us what your favorite movie is or, or one of your top ones. Uh, but I also know uh, that I think any of us who are speakers, there are certain experiences we have that always resonate with audiences. Uh, oftentimes I've found, and I know you found, those experiences aren't necessarily what happened in the workplace, but in, in our home. And uh, you've had an interesting one uh, journey, I know, both with your father and as a father that uh, so many people resonate with. I, I, if I put you on the spot here, is there a way for you to kind of summarize that? Because uh, you've found and you've experienced that you can be a very successful business person and yet still have some major issues you, you've been carrying around for years that yeah. not only affect you, but they affect the people now that you're leading. Uh, and how did, how did that work out in terms of just especially fathering, both as a being fathered and, and then being a father? That's a great question. And it's asked by, by uh, the man that uh, I know has said, you know, when it comes to leading in the business world, I've, I've, I've never really had that much doubt. But when it comes to leading in the home, <laughs> I know I've needed <laughs> Lord's strength and power more than ever. Because it is our highest leadership challenge, I think, in many ways. And it's what we're, we're fundamentally called to be not just successful at, but be significant at. Um, how, do we, how do we raise uh, kids to, to know and love and serve the Lord? And, and uh, that's been a challenge. And, you know, we have these demons. And the demon, you know, that, that I was raised in was around perfectionism. My dad uh, and my mom, both, uh, you know, high-performing high individuals uh, in the theater mostly. And then dad went on to be in the business world. And so I'd come home with grades uh, that, you know, if it was a, a, a 93, I'd feel pretty good. It was an A and dad said, well, what happened to those seven points? Or, or if, I'm, if I'm supposed to take care of the yard, it was, well, yeah, 90% of it looks great. But how about that weed right there in the center of the yard? And so there's always this sense that it was, it was never quite good enough. Hmm. And, and for some, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. It's, a, it's, it's, it's good for your parents to parent you for excellence because if, we if, if we're not performing excellently, we're not, we're not you know, uh, serving uh, the world or the, the Lord well, who is a God of excellence. But in whatever reason, that occurred to me as being parented for perfection. And perfection can be the enemy of, of good, let alone excellent. And uh, long story bearable on that one, Richard, I get what I discovered is as I was going through my life and had kids of my own that I was I was passing that on. I was even uh, worse in many ways with my kids than than my dad was with me and my mom was with me. Isn't that, was, isn't that funny? You, you may have hated how your dad did that. You may have even somehow thought at one level, I'll never be like my dad. That's exactly. Isn't it amazing how often we end up becoming just like the very person that gave us so much grief? Well, the, yeah, yes. And well, and that's the formula. And frankly, by working with a, with a, a Christian counselor that helped me see that, um, I had made a vow, which is, you know, I hate you. You know, I, I will never be like you. 
And when we make a vow like that in the spiritual realm, we, we, we're literally cursing ourselves to become exactly like that individual, you know, and this is exactly why addicts beget addicts and abusers abuse people. And in my case, perfectionists beget perfectionists and, and it goes down through generations. So literally the book and the journey, part of that journey is let's get a glimpse of what we want our life to look like at the end and what that legacy could be and, and how it could be fulfilled. And if that glimpse is, is informed by the Holy Spirit of God or your conscience speaking to you and saying, this is what I'm up to through your life. Wonderful. But now let's also take a look back to our past and figure out if there's things back there in our past that, that might be hindering us on the journey and keeping us mm -hmm. stuck and crippling our ability to fulfill that purpose. And then let's go deal with that through these incredibly powerful things that, uh, you, you know, Jesus talks about so wonderfully and radically called forgiveness mm -hmm. and making the point that the forgiveness is for you and that it frees you. And then it takes you out of this jail and then you're free to, to fulfill whatever purposes he puts onto your heart. And, you, and then in Act 3, great, now that we're in this clearing of our present, unhindered by this stuff in our past, how do we go really live all out and, uh, and uh, live a life that, that fundamentally matters? You know, it's, uh, and, and I know you've had this experience, and I have too. You'll, you'll be in a room full of very successful people, financially very successful, running uh, major companies, dressed uh, very professionally, and then, then you'll give a talk about just messing up with your son, and you'll have these very professional, successful men coming up in tears afterward, just hating the kind of person they've been uh, to their own children and who they are. And you think, how, how could a guy who can solve all these problems at work uh, not be able to solve such a fundamental problem in his own home? But, um, but, it, but that's, that's our story. And, uh, yeah. And we, we do struggle at so many of those things. I, we're, uh, I knew we were going to run out of time here, but uh, tell me, tell us, uh, I, I love your idea. One of the things you do with your kids as they became teenagers is you took them all on a trip. And you mentioned that in your book as well. But what's the idea behind that? How do you do that? Because I know a lot of our listeners are always uh, open for fresh, creative ideas of how to work with their kids and, and help them maybe avoid some of the, the mess that we came out of our childhood with. Uh, but what do you do with your kids and, and their trips? Yeah, well, the, 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 a bunch of funny stories that, that came to that. It, it came for me, the idea first came when, when I realized that so much of our, our great breakthrough, transformative growth takes place outside of our comfort zone. Um, so the thought was, how can I um, uh, get out of my comfort zone with my kids? And if you do it together with somebody, if you travel together with somebody, you're out of, you're immediately out of your comfort zone. And so you're both transforming and you're learning, growing, and you have a unique set of memories, which with, with each of those kids that, that can really be a, a foundation for the relationship going forward, especially as they're, they enter into their adult years. I mean, I, I, it started with me thinking uh, and finding this uh, camp out in California. It's called the JH Ranch, and they specialized in programs for parent and child and, and um, uh, fun stuff during the days, uh, zip lining and jet skiing and water skiing, and at night, a special conversations to bond you with your kid. And I thought this could be fun. And I showed, I showed that um, uh, idea to my oldest daughter, who was turning 16, and I said, hey, do you want to go to the ranch? And she, if not, you pick whatever you want to do. And she came back later said, yeah, I don't want to go to the ranch, but there's this orphanage down in the Dominican Republic. And I'd like to go down there and work. And I was like, an orphanage? I don't even like kids. I mean, I like you, of course, because you're mine. But um, so anyway, we go to the Dominican Republic and it was hot and sweaty and miserable. We woke up the first morning dripping in sweat, covered in 
bed bug bites on top of our mosquito bites. And, and Lauren says to me, Daddy, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know, me too. And you should have picked the ranch. It would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> but it was just this incredible time of, uh, uh, of serving and seeing God at work in some incredibly powerful ways that really kind of laid a foundation for us in our relationship. And then she's, she came back and, and has gone on several more trips and has even led some. And so as, as good as that went and as hard as it was, I did it with each of the other kids. And so we've all had this unique trip and something special too about uh, doing it one-on-one with each mm. of those kids. Cause, and if it's into the third world and all, all three of them pick going into the third world, um, because uh, now we're we're both out of our comfort zone, and so we're really learning and growing together in some pretty powerful ways. Wow. Well, I know they've got a great uh, mother, but uh, there's something about a father taking some one-on-one time uh, and focus with kids that's very powerful. Well, you, if anyone who reads your book, you're going to mention a couple of great movies. So, uh, and if if they read if they read the book, they'll know what some of your favorite movies are. But uh, what? Uh, you have a great way of pulling some great storylines out, some great quotes. Um, what's a what's a movie that's just rich in leadership, life lessons that uh, you'd you'd recommend? Especially if people are quarantined right now, <laughs> needing something to do. What would you recommend them watch and uh, and watch for while they're they're viewing it? All right. Well, if they if they get a hold of uh, the, the the book and 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 or watch my TED talk, they'll they'll, they'll hear some of the, the the good ones. And there there's so many wonderful movies out there that take points and make them powerfully. Dead Poet Society has to be one of my all time favorites. Um, uh, Gladiator, Braveheart. Uh, there's a great film called Collateral Beauty. Uh, all of those you know, we talk about in those settings. But I I'll, I'll give your listeners, Richard, a special one that I don't talk about that in 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 those forums. And uh, it was uh, right around the time you and I had, had met. Um, the, the opportunity I was exploring uh, with you wasn't coming to fruition. And I was going through this crisis of faith and, 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 and belief. And God was, you know, saying, are you going to follow me? And I went to this, this training course that was um, uh, to, to help me become a coach and, and lead my first uh, peer advisory board. And I was enjoying it. I was having fun. And, uh, and yet I also wasn't hearing quite as clearly from, from the Lord. Um, and so I, I, I didn't want to move ahead of him and, and start something that, that wasn't really what he wanted me to do. And in the middle of the training, I get to this, this final night of it. And, uh, and I'm like, Lord, I'm not hearing from you. Is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to go over the finish line here and launch my own CEO peer advisory board group? And I didn't hear anything. And I'm in a hotel room and I did something I don't typically do. It was three in the morning. I woke up, I flicked, uh, turned on the TV and, uh, and surprisingly, the TV came right up with uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And it was right in this incredibly powerful scene in the middle of it. The movie was called Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of uh, William Wilberforce uh, and his uh, passionate crusade ultimately to um, uh, lead the abolitionist movement in the, in the UK in the 1830s. And there was this wonderful scene where uh, Wilberforce had, uh, had uh, just come into a new and profoundly intimate relationship with, with God. And he was having so much fun just hanging out with God and laying on his back in the, in, in the backyard and, 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 and letting the intimacy of that relationship overwhelm him. And he was thinking about pursuing a career in ministry. Um, and yet his, uh, one of his protégés, a, uh, uh, William Penn, who ultimately did become, I think, prime minister at, at, at the time, uh, saw something more in Wilberforce and was trying to convince him to become a member of parliament 
and 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 stay that and to take on this this uh, cause of abolitionists. So he hosted a dinner, and it's a dimly lit room, and all these uh, abolitionists are sitting around the table, and they're presenting to Wilberforce the horrors of slavery. And one of them is an African slave who throws down these iron shackles on this uh, mahogany table and says, "These are for the wrists." And another one he clanks down, and this is for the neck, and these are for the ankles. And they go around the table, and one at a time, they're laying out the, the horrors of, 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 of the slavery movement. And the last woman sitting next to Wilberforce turns to him and says, Mr. Wilberforce, we understand you're, you're struggling between whether you should serve God in the ministry or whether you should go into politics. And we are here, sir, to humbly assert that you can do both. And that was the answer to the question I was just asking the Lord, you know, should I go into ministry and pursue God uh, in some overt Christian ministry way, or should I go into the, the marketplace and serve CEOs? And, and I just heard God saying, I'm calling you into ministry in the marketplace. Hmm. And so that was a movie that profoundly spoke to me at a time I needed to hear that call. And uh, will always be one of my favorites as a result of that. Yeah, great. It is a great film and a great story. Did so if people would like to get your book, how do they, well, we can put that in the show notes, but tell us how, what's the best way to get your book and, and start reading it? Yeah, so they could go to the book at extraordinarywhy.com. Um, it's just like it, it, it sounds. They can order it from Amazon if, they, if they'd rather do it that way. And then the other thing that we're doing these days too, and I've, I'm learning, I think all of us are on this uh, steep learning curve right now during the time of uh, quarantine and coronavirus, aren't we? I mean, you're either yeah. learning, growing, and changing right now or you're not going to be prepared for where we are on the other side of this thing. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that I've done over the past couple of weeks, um, uh, three, four weeks now, is if you had asked me if I could do my workshop virtually uh, a month ago, I would have said, no, it's way too personal and emotional and intimate. We got to be face to face and look deeply into each other's eyes. Uh, but over the past three weeks, I've been doing a lot of them virtually. And what I'm discovering is it works really, really well through Zoom and then through some collaboration tools like Slack. And so now we're even taking people on a structured 12-week uh, 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 journey, uh, two hours a week for 12 weeks to get really, really clear on your purpose and what that looks like. And so if any of your listeners are interested in exploring that with us, I'd be happy to talk to them. Yeah. Too. And they can and what is your website? How, how do they, how, where's your website? They can reach out to you. Yeah. So brettpyle.com, B-R-E-T-T-P-Y-L-E.com is, is, uh, we'll, we'll take them right to me and, um, and extraordinary why.com. will take them right to the book. Well, Brett, it's always good visiting with you, and uh, there's always something exciting and interesting. Uh, you're a great coach. You're a great uh, leader. You ask great questions, and I'm hoping that uh, your book and your ministry uh, message is going to be continuing to be a blessing to many, many people in the years to come. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate you more than you know. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.